This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome into Inside Carolina's Game Plan Podcast. I am your host, Tommy Ashley. That's Greg Barnes, Jason Staples. We're sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Bit after nine, gentlemen, Thursday, November 10th. Hope all is well with each of you. Greg, I'll keep it the same. It's worked for eight eight times this this season. So I'll start with you. Carolina and Wake Forest. It's funny, we've talked and we talked yesterday with somebody and we've talked in the past. The more you win, the bigger they get. Well, another big one for Carolina and Winston on Saturday night. It is. It's a very interesting setup for North Carolina. You know, um, as we've talked about before, so many times that North Carolina has gotten to November and the games really don't have that much importance. But if you go back to, to 15, uh, they mattered a lot and really mattered when they went up to Virginia Tech. Granted, the coastal race was a lot closer at that point in time. And so while North Carolina has, has yet to officially clinch the coastal, I think ESPN has them at like 98.6% chance of winning. Basically, Carolina needs to win one of these final three games or have uh, Duke or Georgia Tech lose another one, and Carolina will be in, in Charlotte. So high likelihood of that happening. North Carolina would like nothing more than to, to score a big win against a, a good team on Saturday night to, to make that happen. Of course, Wake Forest has lost two in a row, so no longer in the top 25 which kind of stinks. I, I think this was setting up to be a, a really fun top 25 matchup. Uh, and we'll dive into some of Wake's issues the last couple of weeks. But uh, Carolina's trucking along. And it, it's really that interesting conversation, Tommy. Of, uh, and you see it in the fan base. It, it's, it's a unique setup where you have fans who they don't care how North Carolina got to 8-1 because Carolina's never at 8-1. It's a rarity that this happens. And they're just happy that Carolina is there. Uh, and then you got the uh, another group is saying, okay, Carolina's 8-1, that's great. But they still aren't playing necessarily to their potential because the defense is just kind of languishing a bit. Um, and that, that's a good problem to have. It's, it's not a matter of uh, your fans are going at each other because the ten, team stinks. It's because they really want to enjoy the moment while also saying, okay, well, Carolina's defense really comes along well, maybe they can win these last three. And if you win the last three, maybe you get into the top 10 going into the ACC championship game. Um, so then you can really start dreaming, right? So, so North Carolina's in great shape. The fun thing about this matchup is they've scored 225 points the last two games, which is <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, people make a big deal about the over-under. Over I'm not sure what it is right now. I think it's 77, 78. Yeah, uh, I mean, they, they blew through that number the last two years. So uh, that's uh, it, it's hard to, to vote against that over-under, as, as ridiculous as it may be. Yeah, we should have put that one on the uh, over-under show way back in August. Over-under, 100 points in a Wake Carolina game. I'd have taken it over right then. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Jason. Uh, that Greg makes an interesting point, and that's what we've talked about. Carolina's 8-1. and one. They were 8-1 and one in 15 then maybe eight and one in 97. I mean, I was around, but I can't think that far back uh, coherently. And then maybe the last time before that was 80 or something or 81. I mean, something crazy. I think they were the, undefeated in, in 97 until. Until Judgment uh, Day. Until Judgment Day, yeah. Which was in was November, under, November 7th, maybe. Yeah, I think that was seven. 
So they, uh, so, so you've got those two, you know, two times <laughs> in the modern era almost. Um, and folks, there's so much consternation. And I don't know if I understand it. I get it. I asked Mac about it, about the defense. I asked Chiswick about the defense. Uh, I don't think Mac cared for my question on Wednesday about it. Um, but I ask it because people want to know. But Jason, Carolina's 8 and 1. And they're playing Wake Forest, a team that's defense is maybe a shade better, not much. What do you think about going into this? What, let me ask you this. Compared to where you were preseason to now, what has changed or what has stayed the same in your opinion of this ballgame? Um, on the Wake side, I don't think a whole lot has changed. I mean, they are banged up, which has been a factor. I think, I think that's – that's something that that you have to take into account. But I, I thought this year's Wake team would be very offense heavy and struggle on defense. I think they've been a little less consistent on offense this year, at least the last few weeks, than I thought they'd be. But again, they've been a little banged up, and and Hartman has has had a little trouble. Uh, but other than that, they've been pretty 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 straightforward. I mean, Carolina offensively is pretty close to what I expected. Uh, I thought they might be able to run it a little better, and I was I was a little concerned about where they'd be early in the year without, uh, without Antoine green. But I thought once they had green and downs, both on the field, I thought this is pretty close to what they'd look like passing wise. Um, so I don't think a whole lot has changed in that respect on those th- in those three domains on the defensive side. I really thought Carolina would be better on the defensive line this year would be, would be, uh, would be able to dictate to to offenses more at the, to this point in the season than they have. Uh, and I thought their corners would be a little better. Actually, I thought their corners would be significantly better. Uh, so, you know, that I, I think that all in all, Carolina's defense has been a, a tick below where I thought they'd be. I mean, I, I thought they'd, uh, I thought they'd be pretty good this year. Now, the thing is in terms of their in, in, conference performance they've been pretty close to what greg you and i talked about as they're uh as you know on that preview show we talked about the what was the um the uh the number for points per game that we put that we were figuring uh somewhere what was it like under 29 or something like that was yeah. around the over under and we were figuring that was a pretty fair number and actually in conference they're below that so i mean in that respect they've they've actually and the thing that matters most, which is points given up, they've been basically on expectation. I just think it's been a little uglier at times than than we thought it'd be. They've gotten beat a little bit more on the edge, and then they've gotten uh, pushed around a little bit up front at times when when I didn't expect. But otherwise, I think it's basically the game we thought it would be coming in. It's kind of crazy how that works, isn't it, Greg? I mean, everything that's happened. It, there, there's not a person in the world that thought Carolina would be eight and one with a worse defense than last year. None, nobody. And here we are. Sam Hartman, um, you know, was out at the beginning of the years, has struggled the last two weeks, um, but he's still Sam Hartman and it's still that Wake Forest offense. All the questions in the chat are going to be about defense. Go ahead and ask, go ahead and tell you guys that. <laughs> no secret. But, but Greg, as far as, where Carolina is, to Jason's point about the defense being better in conference play, I still think, and no, they have not been good, but I still think that App State game has skewed it so much that I don't think anything they can do short of completely shutting down Wake Forest on Saturday will change the perception, will it? Yeah, but I, I am um, – I understand the, understand the App State game, and yes, it was – abnormal and it's an outlier if you will you can say the same about the ecu game in 2014 um where this i think part of the issue is because those numbers look better in conference uh a lot of that is the fact that north carolina hasn't faced many good offenses i'm pretty sure wake is going to be the first top 50 offense at least in fei that carolina's faced this year at least the top first i think uh, I'd have to look it up. I, I had it and I lost about, I think maybe it's the first top 25 and third top 50. I think that's probably what it is. Um, so they've, they've benefited by not having the 
offensive opponents that they did last year in ACC play. Remember, there's a lot of really good offensive teams last year. It just hasn't really been the case this year. Uh, it's been kind of a, a defensive heavy. And we, we talked about that earlier in the year of, uh, yeah, the coast was wide open, but a lot of these teams don't have really good offenses, but they're pretty good defensively. Well, Carolina is the opposite. I mean, the defense is not really good, but they have a really good offense. And Carolina has capitalized on that. Uh, we talked last week, you know, Virginia came in averaging 14 points a game against FBS opponents. They scored 28. So when you say, well, they only scored 28, that's not bad, right? But when they're doubling their average against FBS opposition, <laughs> that's not good. And so that, that's kind of lending to some of this uh, debate and argument on the, on the message board. But as, as Jason talked about last week, there have been strides made. Uh, they're, they're, he can dive into it more if he, if he chooses, but they look more technically sound in the fundamentals than they did in September. And so even though the, the actual stats may not look dramatically better, um, I do think it's a situation where they have gotten better. I, I will throw this in here. When, when you look at uh, defensive drive efficiencies, North Carolina has had four straight games dating back to the you know, Virginia Tech game was positive, of course, but four straight games of negative defensive efficiency. They've got six on the year. 2014, Carolina had seven. Uh, issue of 2014, of course, was they had some really bad games, like three or four really bad games, uh, and then a couple good ones. This defense is, is not near to that extreme other than the Notre Dame and App State games. Uh, but they've been closer to that average mark, just haven't really been able to get there, and that kind of gets into this conversation. Let me uh, – can you explain what that means, the negative efficiency rating? So this is FEI. So all FEI stuff is per possession scoring advantage. So basically, when your offense, your defense takes the field against an average opponent, how do they fare? And so Carolina in the last four games, the defense hasn't won. The defense has given up uh, more points per possession on average against you know, kind of your adjusted numbers than the opponent than th that you would expect. Um, and so, like, Virginia is a good example. I mean, it was a negative 1.12, which is not good. Anything more than one uh, is, is a poor defensive performance. And that speaks to what we just said. Virginia was averaging – 14 points a game against FBS competition, they scored double that. And so you're going to get those negative marks when you do that, even though we're not talking about 61 points like App State scored. All right, Jason. So how's Carolina 8-1? and one? Tell, me, tell me the one person or maybe the two people that are responsible for 8-1 and one at this point in the season. Hmm. <laughs> Who might that be? Give me a second, Jason. Let me think about this. I think I saw him on Sports Center earlier. Um, yeah. This evening. Yeah, I, I think I think I think we can just go ahead and, and skip to the next question because I think everybody, <laughs> every, I think I think oh, the the people who only watch Carolina basketball know the answer to that question. <laughs> hey, let me ask you this though, Jason. Uh, you mentioned Antoine Green and Josh Downs and Green have looked phenomenal. And I think we know the answer on, on downs because he's been good. He was good last year. How much of it is those guys really playing exceptionally well, and how much of it is Drake makes those guys look that much better? Um, I think those guys have played really well. Um, you know, if, if you look at if you look at Drake's performance before those guys got back in the lineup, it, it was good. I mean. We, we were talking about how, man, it looks like he hasn't missed a beat. So, I mean, he made those guys – I mean, that, that shows you kind of he's making guys look look great. But at the same time, when you look at the at the one-on-one -on -one matchups, anytime one of those guys has a one-on-one -on -one matchup, he's wide open. And that makes it easy for Drake. So, it, it's one of those recursive things where May makes his receivers look better, and he happens to have two NFL receivers. So mm – -hmm. When you make Josh Downs look better, uh, wow, he was already pretty good. Uh, I think actually of the of them, uh, 
Green has probably helped May more in that respect. Uh, or or I'll, I'll say uh, May has probably helped Green more than he has Downs. Um, Downs is a guy, there, there've been some th- places where Downs has been really frustrated because uh, Drake hasn't missed many throws or many reads, but the few that he has missed have generally been in, in, in that direction. So, you know, and I think we saw last year at different points when Sam Howell actually pulled the trigger to go to Antoine Green, he made some plays, especially down the stretch. But there were times where, you know, I was, I was watching, I looked at all 22 and uh, angles on things and going, Oh my gosh, you got a wide open throw here. And he never even looked at him and Drake's ability to see the field and his confidence and pulling the trigger to Antoine green and in the way that he makes a lot of the throws that may throws best or throws that take advantage of what green's able to do. I think that relationship has been very good for, for green. I think it's really helped green's draft stock among other things. Uh, but I think it's it's a recursive thing. I mean, each of them is making the other, each position group is making the other look good, which is exactly the synergy you want between those two positions. I think it's fascinating that even when they were out, Drake May was still good. You know, he's better with them in there, but early it was Georgia State and App State that he didn't have either one of those guys. Yeah, and, and granted, if there was anybody on the schedule that you didn't want to have those guys against, it's going to be in those first three games. Right. So, I mean, it is a little bit different because Green and, and, and Downs have been doing it against the meat of the schedule. And so that part needs to be taken into account. But yeah, I mean, May made it look easy with the other guys against a little bit lesser competition. Just fascinating to me that he just throws whoever's open. And, and you mentioned how last year, I remember some of your breakdowns and some of the stuff we looked at. There were guys running wide open, never glanced that way because he was trailing Josh a lot and watching that. Greg, looking at May's performance, and we talked to Joe Lizzie yesterday, and I like it. I like having a different opinion. Um, not an echo chamber. And and some people on the message boards or whatever. You know, I think there was a little bit of missing the point of what he was talking about as far as why he won't win the Heisman this year and all that other stuff. But anyway, what's what gets me, Greg, about Drake, and then we can move into the actual game plan portion, is that folks are noticing and folks are paying attention other than just jumping on the bandwagon. I mean, there's guys getting in to the meat and crux of it when they're talking about Drake May, other than just saying, oh, yeah, look at those numbers. They're fascinating. They're talking about what he does well and all that. And that's what I think. Somebody said his his height, the biggest difference from him and Howell. Mm -mm. Uh, Well, the height helps, but no, I I think there's more to it than that. Uh, If he was the same height as Howell, he'd still be pretty close to what he is. Right. His ability to to get rid of the ball as quick as he does – um, and as, as Jason has said, he's still got growth to to go through, right? I mean, he's still a young guy. He's only played nine games as a starter. Um, but it's more than that. And <clears throat> he understands where to put the ball. Uh, the play that Jason broke down on the corner route that Josh Downs ran, I mean, Drake read it perfectly, and he stepped into the throw and let it go before Josh ever turned around. I mean, that's, that's NFL quality stuff there. Um, and let me say this too. Uh, people haven't asked why we had Joe on. And Tommy, to your point about echo chamber, we could have had somebody from Charlotte who works for the ACC network or ESPN come on. And guess what? They're going to tell you the exact same thing that we're going to tell you because they're in this area and they understand North Carolina's set up they understand a lot about the program and the acc footprint joe's not from around here he's from new jersey and so he looks at it from a national perspective that you're not going to get in the state of north carolina it's a completely different view and so what he says is how a lot of people around the country are kind of looking at it you don't have to agree with him but i think he's right um i think the perception you know if it was just a stat-driven award, individual stat-driven award, then there's no question Drake May would be top two or three. 
It's not. Never has been, or at least hadn't been in the last 25 years. Your team has to win, and you have to be in a situation like what you said, where people really notice you. And it's not just, hey, that, that's that's the redshirt freshman kid from Carolina. He had another good game. It's like, whoa, we know what Drake can do. He's been doing it all year. There he goes again. There's a difference there for a lot of these Heisman voters. Uh, and so he's got an uphill battle. But if Carolina can keep winning and he can get up close to that top 10 ranking, if he keeps doing what he's doing, he's going to make it very difficult for those people not to extend an invite to New York. Jason, it's a question I was going to ask, or I'm going to ask Drake when we have some availability next week when he's there. He got the week off this week. But when a quarterback is going through his progressions, does he know or is he processing who that guy is? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, or does he just see an open jersey? I mean, uh, Drake may know he's smart as can be, but is is I've always wondered that. And and the reason I asked that question is, and I said it on this or one of the shows a couple of weeks ago, if it's me running the route and I'm wide open, he's basically got to stick it on me because I can't run. But if I'm fast, you know what I'm saying? Like, does he know who he's throwing to? Or is he just throwing to whichever one of his guys appears open? Okay, quickly, I want to go revisit something with, that Greg was talking about before. All right. So it's not just about the, uh, the oh, well, you know, oh, wow, that redshirt freshman's really playing well or whatever. You're, 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 you're right about that. But I think the difference, the thing that you've got to have if you're going to be a Heisman, Heisman winner is you have to have – a couple marquee games against teams that are regarded as marquee teams in prime time. If you don't have that, you're not winning the award. Partly because a lot of the voters just don't watch the games. So, I mean, I see in the, in the chat folks saying, you know, RG three won won the award, won the Heisman with, you know, without a great Baylor, a Baylor team. He had some but, phenomenal plays in games. Yeah. Well, the thing is he had, some big performances in night games, like at Oklahoma, right? That's a brand team. So if you're not on a brand team, then you have to beat or absolutely torch a brand team. I would say at least twice. And, you know, once sort of earlier in the year to get the attention and then late in the year to really cement yourself as that guy, you have to beat a team that, and you have to, uh, to show yourself against a team that the that the voters recognize, and the problem is, it's basically Carolina's schedule. I mean, Drake is not going to have the opportunity to play again to get that kind of marquee game until Clemson, and then at that point, unless you know he drops like eight touchdowns against Clemson. And they managed to win, you know, in a, in a tight one because of his heroics. He's still not going to be elevated to number one there just because teams are going to go, well, yeah, he's put up great numbers, but I mean, it's the Andre Ware phenomenon, right? Now, Andre Ware won it, but that was a different era. And, you know, since, I mean, look at, look at where the guys who've won it have, have played the last 15, 20 years. You have to be in at a brand place or a place that plays multiple big brand programs in that year and then show out in those games. And Carolina just the schedule did not stack up for that. But he'll probably be the favorite going in next year, honestly. So anyway. And state can be a brand a big game because state's gonna be Yeah, if they keep winning, that's yeah. Gonna, that's they can be, be a, a big game. 10, but the problem game. is they're not a brand game. Yeah. So and it's on That's Friday when nobody's watching. And Tommy, uh, I'm cautiously bringing this up. I'm bringing it up now because I don't know if I want to revisit it before the state game. But what have fans criticized Dave Dorn for over the years in having successful seasons? Playing weak schedules. Mm -hmm. uh, according to ESPN FBI, Carolina right now, it's kind of to Jason's point the 84th strength of schedule. NC State hadn't had one that bad in a long time. Uh, so Wake will help with that. You want NC State to keep winning so they can help with that. 
but this just hasn't been outside of Notre Dame. Just has not really been any any teams that are even kind of really fringe top twenty five, uh, and that that's hurt Drake as well. And even Notre Dame being a three loss team, I mean, if if he'd put up five touchdowns and that Notre Dame team had been had had beaten Ohio State earlier in the year, that that then the the national narrative looks a little different there too. So I mean, but that Notre Dame team was off of two losses already, and that that killed any buzz going into that game and so much depends on building buzz i mean the heisman campaign is a is a pr campaign where it's about building the buzz over the year to get people you know to get the herd to vote for you any in any anyway going back to your question tommy uh about whether a quarterback knows the mat like does he know who he's looking at in addition to what he's looking at it depends a little bit on the quarterback some quarterbacks are a little more agnostic on that. So they know, you know, you do know when you line up and you're instructed to know, but exactly how that weights in a quarterback's decision-making process differs. So, I mean, this goes back to what you just said before. I mean, you look at last year, Sam would lock in at times on one guy. He, he knew where he wanted to go and he would get locked in on that guy because that, that that's, and he did it some, you know, in all, all three of his years. Uh, you know, before it was Newsom, you know, sometimes, and then other times, you know, Diami, he had eyes for Diami and it was just going to Diami no matter what. So there are a couple factors that come into play here. One is if you trust all of your receivers, then you can basically pick and pop depending on what, you know, whatever defense you see, you just take whatever you got. If you don't trust your certain receivers as much as others, you might default to something else first, even though that might be the first progression, you're going to, you're going to speed through it quicker. You know, that's third progression and you're just not going to make it there because you don't trust the guy. So those are factors. Um, But then some of it's temperament of the quarterback. And this is where I think may is different. and, and, And may has the temperament that I really like in a quarterback, which is sort of the, the, the point guard, approach to playing quarterback which is you're open you're getting it you're i'm giving you layups guys (laughs) and and when you have that kind of guy with that kind of mentality yeah he knows who his matchups are and if it's like third and eight then you've got a concept called that is going to involve a one-on-one for the slot and you know that's josh downs well maybe you give that a little extra time because you know he's going to win that one-on-one so that's where you start to make some of those change, some of those adjustments to it. But you, you, when you're a quarterback, what you do, the first thing you do when you, when you step to the line of scrimmage is you evaluate front and like, okay, where are my blitz threats? And then you check your, and, and you're doing that while checking safety. So I do have, do I have two high one high? Where's my blitz threats? Okay. Check in my protection. And now I know what concept I have called and I want to see, okay, where are my one-on-ones? Okay, and now I've got a one-on-one here, and I know that guy can't cover that guy. So you you do take that into account, and sometimes what you do is you bump one of the progressions earlier in the in in the read progression. So you got you know one two three. Well, you can also go three two one if you like that three matchup and you think that's going to pop. So it just depends a little bit on that, where you do take that into account. And you do default to the guy that you you're, you're pretty confident is going to be open, but there is some variance there between quarterbacks, and some guys are going to default to I'm just going to put it on you, regardless of who you are. The other factor that you mentioned is if you're throwing to Tommy, you you got to know like I'm throwing a, a a deep ball. I'm not putting I'm I'm not putting it quite as far out there. When I was playing, I had quarterbacks that overthrew me a little bit more because you know you're throwing to. Crafonzo Thorpe, who ran a 429 laser 40 on, you know, one rep, and then you're throwing to me on the next one. And well, you know, I never ran a 429 on a laser. I was a little slower than that. You got to take a little bit, you got to toss that a little bit less distance for me than you would for him. So you do have to have that awareness as well. And that's where having experience with each player, knowing that, okay, this guy, he likes it above his head more. Whereas this guy likes to run under it. 
a little bit more. And you know that about certain guys and the best quarterbacks actually adjust to that as well. So, you know, I know Antoine is going to go get it no matter where I put it out there. He's going to run under it. Whereas, you know, JJ, maybe that guy, you know, I'm going to put it up a little bit and he likes to go up and grab it, you know, and that's, that's where he, he, he's going to be best. So, you know, those things and you, you start to, that's graduate level quarterback play. You start to adjust to that stuff. Yeah. And that's where all that summer work comes in with those guys. Let's talk about Johnny t-shirt, Johnny t-shirt.com sponsors of podcast sponsors, of inside Carolina, great friends of you, the inside Carolina premium subscriber. I say this all the time because I mean it all the time. They take care of you. If you're a premium subscriber on the message boards, you get Jason's breakdowns. We talk about recruiting all the time. That's worth its uh, weight in gold on inside Carolina. Jason Staples breakdowns, film breakdowns are certainly worth that as well. If you're a premium subscriber, Go check it out. Johnny T-shirt on Franklin Street. Johnny T-shirt online. Get your 10%. Take care of them. It's Christmas time, folks. Hard to believe. There's a Christmas tree waiting to be set up in my garage. It's ridiculous. It's November 10th. That means you better start ordering your stuff online. National guys pay the bills. It's the game plan. Wake Carolina. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, boys, it's 934 on the East Coast. Let's talk about the game itself here. We, we said earlier that it's pretty much the same game we thought it would be when the season started. Um, I'm going to try to get some questions not related to how much Carolina needs to blitz to start with. Um, so I'm going to come to you first, Greg Slagle. I asked him a question, or I asked them to ask me some non-defensive uh, Carolina defense questions, and here's what we got. Slagle says, what can Carolina do to get better run production? Greg, what you got? Better run production. Uh, that's a good question. That's probably a better one for uh, for Jason to answer. Uh, but I think you know, the offensive line has made strides. I think they're a little bit better than last year. They just don't have the explosive back. Uh, and there's some talent in the in the young guys. But when you talk about British Brooks being out, he's the guy they were counting on. Caleb Hood getting hurt. Uh, they've really kind of run through the numbers. And Elijah Green is, is now, it's his turn. Uh, and so I think it really is just a matter more so of uh, not the – not the offensive line as much as it's been in years past that have caused some issues, but it's just the, the talent that they have in the running back room It's young and inexperienced for the most part. Um, and that's, that's one of the reasons. And then in terms of, um, in terms of why Carolina hasn't run the ball as effectively or maybe as much, I mean, there's a reason Drake may is passing the ball so much. It's because really he's, he needs to, he's played from behind a lot. Uh, Carolina's has trailed. Well, he's he's got what is it now? Four second half comebacks. So that plays a role into it as well. Jason, uh, my first inclination is running game. Why you need running game? We got Drake May. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm almost not. I'm almost serious. But I think Elijah Green might be a difference maker here in a game like this. Jason, what you got? Yeah, I mean, one thing is you got to remember that the last two defenses they played, one of the things we said going into the game is it's going to be tough to run against these guys. I mean, Virginia, as bad as they've been offensively, they're good run defense. They're yeah. good. Actually, there's a good defense overall. I mean, we said that going in. Like, guys, you know, this is this is going to be a, 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 you know, tough sledding. I mean, uh, Greg, I don't think either one of us picked more than, uh, I mean, we picked them in the 30s in, in terms of Carolina score. 
31, 34. Yeah. Yeah. So we both knew that this was going to be a a game where you'd have to, you'd have to earn your points because Virginia doesn't make mistakes and they're physical up front and they stop the run. Uh, And then of course, Pitt, I mean, Narduzzi at this point, he's become a caricature because he's willing to run the football, even when throwing, it's going to win. He's willing to go down with the ship, making sure he runs it on offense just to run it because he wants to win the right way. And, you know, he'll, he'd rather lose running the football than win, you know, with Mark Whipple throwing the football all over the yard. Okay. Well, whatever. But his defensive approach goes the same way. He's going to try He's going to do everything to take away the run. And so you're just not going to run the ball a ton against those teams. I've actually thought they've done well the last couple of weeks running the football. I mean, they were efficient when they ran it against Virginia and against, uh, against Pitt. And when you're running it against those two teams, you're doing pretty well. So, you know, what can they do to get more production out of the running game? I think play a defense that's more like Wake Forest's is a good place to start. Uh, and, and I do think Elijah Green has shown some real promise there. I mean, he's been, he and Hood have been the two best backs this year in terms of actually running the football. Uh, and now that Hood's out, I mean, it's got to be, it's got to be green. And the way that he ran it against Virginia, I mean, he ran physical, he ran, ran the ball really well. Uh, and he's got some burst. He's got some speed. He's, he can, he can hit it in the home run. Uh, he can hit home runs once he gets in the open field. Although those are harder to get against Wake because they'll, they'll play over the top. So, you know, I think they'll, I think they'll be able to run the ball some against this Wake defense. I mean, that's, that's the thing. I mean, if you go through Wake's schedule, they've given up some rush, some rushing yards on the year, and their front is not, you know, not what what Carolina's faced the last couple of weeks. Yeah, somebody Nick Whitfield said Carolina needs to be balanced. I mean, I Carolina's averaging what 145 yards a game in ACC play or something to that effect on the ground. I think Elijah Green will make some plays on Saturday. They might be on some swing passes or something out of the backfield. Um, you know, Petaway returning kicks could do something. You know, Marion puts the ball on the ground or did a couple of times. And Mac has said when they've got a locker room full of running backs, if you put it on the ground, you're not going to, you're going to watch. And Green took advantage of that opportunity and has sort of stepped up. I still think, and I'm not going to talk about Carolina's offense a lot because I think it'll be a 53, 52, 53 point performance here. Um, but I think it's a Drake May day again, you know. Greg, I don't know any reason to come off of that. Um, you know, if we're talking about somebody ran for 150 yards, like Slagle said, then I think maybe that's – we'll change the narrative. Uh, but until I see it, I'm going to believe that Drake May does what Drake May has to do for Carolina. Yeah, a couple things here. Um, in terms of run defense, as, as Jason said, Wake's had some really good games. I mean, last week they were good because they wanted to see if the, the young freshman for State can beat them. Uh, and they held state to 115 yards rushing. Louisville ran for 211. Boston College ran for 56. BC sucks. Army <laughs> ran for 225. Uh, nice. you, that's triple option, right? I mean, they're going to get yards. Uh, Florida State ran for 112. Clemson won for, ran for 188. So they've been kind of up and down. Um, and so you know, Carolina in ACC play, uh, averaging four yards per carry. I think when you talk about Drake May, though, um, you know, Wake's defense is vastly improved. Uh, bringing in Brad Lambert from Purdue, uh, he's he's made some some great improvements, but it's still really middle of the road. Um, so they're not you know top one hundred like they were last year, but you know they're still fiftieth, sixtieth in, in most of these stats, and that's that's something that Drake can take advantage of. I think one. One key stat to look at in ACC play, Wake Forest is 13th in quarterback rating defense, uh, 149.3. Of course, Drake is, I think, 181. Uh, but get this Wake has allowed 13 touchdowns without an interception in ACC play. Uh, so that just that sounds a lot like Drake May is going to have a, a good evening. Yeah, somebody said he's going to throw to the tight ends. He's going. Is Nesbitt healthy? I hadn't really heard a whole lot about Nesbitt. I would assume we hadn't heard anything terribly negative. Um, but Morales, this is a game he could have a a good game in. But it's May Downs and Green, and, and then you sort of go off of that, and uh, and it could be Green and Green, so we can have a law firm. 
but they, uh, I think just Carolina is going to do what they do. So let's go ahead and switch to the defense. I, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and predict 52, 51 or something like that. And everybody has a heart attack, but. but well, look, Jason, 77, go. Jason, J- Tommy. 77 is only 11 touchdowns. And that so dude, what was that? Uh, that that guy did it. SMU guy did that. Right. Um, so it's not it's not that far fetched. Sorry, go ahead, Jason. Jason, what, what? Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you just a succinct question. Will Gene Chizik blitz Sam Hartman? Not if he's and, that small. Not if he's as smart as I think he might be. Do tell. So if you want to go back and watch a team just absolutely get shelled. Go back and watch Wake Wake Forest against Clemson. Right? Wake Forest scored 45 points against Clemson. Now, Clemson's pretty good defensively. Right? They're 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 real good. What they did though is they came into that game dead set on pressuring Sam Hartman. We're going to pressure him and we're going to single cover him. And Sam Hartman threw for 371 yards and five touchdowns on nine yards per attempt. Because I guess those who wide against, receivers. Who was that? Who, what team was that against? That, that was against Clemson. Okay. <laughs> because Clemson, through three quarters, insisted on we're going to blitz, we're going to take away the run, we're going to make you one dimensional, and we're going to, you know, Screw that 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 slow mesh. We're going to hit your quarterback. And Wake Forest said, okay, we'll take those one-on-one matchups. Mossed, mossed, mossed. <laughs> and A.T. Perry, actually, I got I to look up A.T. Perry's numbers in this game because they were, they were ridiculous. A.T. Perry against Clemson. No, they, it was not just A.T. Perry. So he was four for 51 for in a touchdown. Uh, let's see. There, the uh, Jamal Banks against Clemson was <laughs> six catches for 141 and two touchdowns. And see, Jamal Banks is another of those six three, six four guys that grow on trees out there. At Perry's six five. Uh, Donovan Green is another. Donovan Green against Clemson. Uh, let's see, was uh, two catches for 53 and two touchdowns. So scored on both of his catches. Those guys feasted every time Clemson brought pressure and left one-on-one on the corner. So, you know, I'm sure that there are some folks out there who are like, well, you know, NC State last week showed the, the blueprint. You got to just, you got to get pressure on, on Hartman and then, you know, that'll cause, that'll cause some problems. Well, yeah, but NC State might have the best secondary in the conference. Right? I mean, if, there, if there's a team that can go one-on-one a little bit more than they can, and secondly, they're also a very different scheme. They're playing a 3-3 stack. And NC State's scheme is based on bringing pressure from looks that you can't ne- – that, that like you don't, you don't necessarily know where the pressure is coming from. That's what they try to do. So if you go with a 2 by 2 formation, they're going to they're gonna have some sort of 3-3 look. They, you know, they're going to be – uh, they, they're going to bring four rushers, but one of them is going to be a blitzer from somewhere. And you're not sure whether, whether it's going to be Mike backer, whether it's going to be will backer, whether it's going to be Sam backer, whether it's going to be a, one of the, one of the nickels or, or, you know, any of these things, one of the safeties, a nickel, they're going to bring four guys. Most of the time, you just don't know who the fourth guy is. And then sometimes, you know, a good amount of the time they're going to bring a fifth guy and they believe in bringing five a lot. They don't bring six, a bunch. So when they bring five, they're still playing, you know, pretty safe in the back. And again, they've got some good defensive backs there. Carolina, we saw what Pitt did when Carolina went, all right, well, we're going to load up and stop the run. We're going to bring pressure and we're going to force your quarterback to beat us down the field. Well, you know, you had some receivers running free down the field. Ultimately, though, they just missed him. Do we really think Sam Hartman's going to miss all of those? Uh, Slovis was bad. Slovis was bad. 
And Carolina counted on that. That was the right call. That's what we said they should do is look, make Keaton, make, make, make Slovis beat you. I don't think the right play against Wake Forest is make Sam Hartman beat you. <laughs> right. Um, I think you need to be judicious. I think you need to bring pressure sometimes, but you need to be careful when you do it. And what you don't want to do is bring six, seven guys and leave yourself exposed on the back end, or they're just going to shell you because those are NFL receivers out there. They got three NFL receivers on their team. So to me, yes, bring some pressure. And I think we'll see that some, but you've got to pick your spots and you got to make sure you disguise when you're doing it. Otherwise, you've got to just make sure that you stay over top of those wide receivers. And my thing is, use your corner's length to disrupt those receivers and try to take away what they do best in that regard, but force them to beat you with something other than going straight downfield. And you know what? If they're going to run the football on you a little bit, I mean, their run game has not been great this year. Make them beat you with the running game. I mean, and Hartman doesn't run it much. Yeah, I mean, look at their run game right now. They're averaging 3.22 yards per play on a run, point, in the run game. They averaged point, ACC play. Yeah, they averaged 0.68 yards per carry against NC State. They averaged two yards per carry against Louisville. 3.29 yards per carry against Boston College. So to me, you force this team to beat you running the football. That's what you do. And if if they can do that, well, you know, then you then you start to you start to bring a little bit more pressure. But I think you make them prove that they can beat you running the football and you try to take a you, you make Sam uh, Sam Hartman hand the ball off a little bit more. Take away the verticals. Tommy, How you play to slow me? Well, yeah, go ahead, Greg. Hang on. Yeah, let, let me let me jump in here. One of these days, <laughs> Jason Staples is gonna be so far off. I'm going to nail his rear end to the wall. It's coming. It's not today, today is not that day. Um, <laughs> I've, got, I've got some stats to back up everything he just said. And look, the, the point of this is blitzing only works if you get to the quarterback. If you don't, all you've done is taken somebody out of coverage. Um, here are some PFF numbers, which I think are just phenomenal. Sam Hartman, when kept clean, has a 91.2 offensive grade. That's elite. Uh, adjusted completion percentage, 73, 1,950 yards, 9.4 yards per attempt, 18 touchdowns, five picks. Under pressure, 49.2 grade. Uh, 47% completion, 6.9 yards per attempt, six touchdowns, four interceptions. Here's what matters. When blitzed, Sam Hartman has an 84.5 grade with a 72% adjusted completion percentage, 9.3 yards per attempt, 17 touchdowns, four interceptions. Wow, if you're 17 gonna blitz touchdowns him, and four interceptions when blitz. Good yeah. God. If you blitz him, you got to get home. Otherwise, he's going to eat you alive. So everything Jason just said is exactly right. Actually, it's interesting. His grade on the year is um, – I, I just went over to his page. His grade on the year is lower when not blitzed than when blitzed. <laughs> yeah, so Sam Hartman, when he has time to think about it, he is worse than when he has to make a snap decision and get the ball out. Well, I think it has more to do with his <laughs> wide receivers are elite when they're in one-on-one -on -one situations. I, I think that really is what it is. Because when he's blitzed, he's going, oh, I got that one-on-one -on -one, and I've got an NFL wide receiver against whatever DB he's up against. I'm just going to let him go up and win. And those guys win over and over and over again. And you guys remember, I watched this team beat Florida State earlier in the year. And Florida State actually outgained them in yards per play on both sides of the ball. You don't normally lose when you do that. Florida State outplayed them overall. But... Wake Forest just flat out won several one-on-one -on -one matchups with those wide receivers on third and long. There was one touchdown where you can go back and watch it. The the FSU corner could not have been in much better better position against this you know uh, jump ball fade situation. The corner is 
all over him. He's in phase. He's in position to make the play. He reaches to, to go get the ball and he just misses by like four inches while the receiver, who's another three or four inches taller, just pulls that ball in, makes a great catch touchdown on third down. And that's the difference in the game. And they had like four or five of those where those receivers just won and they were just better than Florida State's defensive backs. And, you know, that's concerning because, frankly, Florida State's corners have played better on the year than, than Carolina's have for most of the year. So I just I think you want to avoid putting yourself in positions where Hartman can just go, oh, all right, blitz. All right, pull it, throw, throw it up to A.T. Perry. Uh, oh, there's a matchup I like. All right, just throw to that guy. He's in one-on-one. Yeah, good luck with that. So, and I didn't watch Wake a lot against State because that just violates everything I believe in. Um, I didn't, but what I did see is I didn't see them running that slow mesh a lot against State. I mean, they've done it against Carolina and it makes, and somebody just threw it in the chat um, and I was going there. That makes guys like Cameron Kelly, Biggers, and them, Greg, doesn't that make them very important in a game like this if Wake's going to try to play it that way? Yeah, and how do you how do you make them go quicker with that? Hit everybody. Yeah, you 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 get pressure. You win the line of scrimmage, um, and that's what Carolina struggled with last couple of years. Is uh, you know Carolina has not been able to really move the line of scrimmage, and so Hartman's able just to sit back there. I also think the fact that Wake has struggled offensively at running the ball has probably affected that a little bit. Uh, Jason, I'll let you expand on that, but I did want to ask you one thing. I played golf with a buddy of mine uh, the other day who's a longtime high school football coach, and he said that Wake Forest is one of the few offenses or few teams that when you go to clinics, they won't tell you how they do the slow mesh and kind of the design. Is that accurate? Yep. I just say we're not covering that today. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, they don't want to get into the details of exactly how they how they coach that, you know, and how they specifically install and all of that, because it's 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 proprietary. So they they they're not real forthcoming with that. And then uh, another group that's, you know, kind of tough to get stuff from is the Bryles clan. Uh, historically, they've been they've been real proprietary about their stuff. I remember I was at a, at a clinic with uh, with Kendall Bryles. And then I started using their terminology on a couple things and, and mentioned uh, and, and then mentioned something that I had, you know, film of or whatever. And he kind of looked at me like <laughs> I saw this, like, how did you get that? Like, how do and it was one of those. And I looked at it, I was like, yeah, I know it's kind of hard to de- hard to get your stuff. <laughs> He's like, yes, it is. Um, so, you know, that's wakes similar to that. Some some coaches are more forthcoming than that in, in that respect. The coaches that have their thing other people don't do this thing. Some of those coaches get real proprietary about that. And that's a couple of them. <laughs> it's like, what is it? The KFC recipe? Yeah. Think, yeah. I, I, the thing is about the slow mesh. I don't think it's actually all that complicated. I mean, I, I think you can, you can, you can reverse engineer it from, from tape. The issue is committing the time to practice. You like, it's something you can't just do part time. Like you can't do it as like, we're going to spend, you know, five, 10% of our practice on this. You have to commit to that as an offensive philosophy. And most teams are not willing to do that because it's, you know, it's a little risky. Oh yeah. And And you're going to get, you're going to get your your quarterback hit. Well, that's the thing you got to make them pay. It's kind of like when teams would run the option all the time, you just got to hit the quarterback and hit the running back or hit the quarterback every time. Uh, and I said the KFC comment, they've been kind of knuckleheads lately. So I retract that comment. But um, looking at it, somebody said, you know, what's the likelihood that Chiswick's going to bring, actually brings pressure? And we've covered it. It's not, you don't bring pressure. You have to get pressure. You can bring extra bodies, but if they don't get covered or don't get get through, then guys are wide open. On the slow mesh, it always looks like Hartman to me, Jason, is reading the safety. He is. He's reading. He's reading. He's reading down, third level. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as he triggers down, then he's throwing over the top of it, and yeah. that's why 
Cam Kelly and Biggers and Don Chapman and those guys have got to to be good in their eyes. You love the eye discipline. I, think <laughs> I saw somebody said if I hear Jason Staples say eye discipline again, but it's it's on point. But in reality, here Carolina's front four has got to be very good. That, that that's the key to this game. Yeah, and that for me, um, I pick Carolina to lose to Wake in the preseason, and that's why I'm going to stick with that. Is because the front four without the guys they were missing, that's troublesome to me, Greg, it is can they hold up and do their jobs with all those guys missing? And I just – I don't see it happening. Let me throw up this Chad Maupin comment. And while, while you're doing that, let me make one other observation. So when they do that slow mesh, he's not always reading safety. Part of the, part of the issue is that they, they're reading an adjuster. So depending on the concept that they have layered with it, he's reading a different guy. So sometimes he's reading the, you know, if you've got a nickel in, sometimes he's reading that guy. It's more of a, a standard RPO. They're just giving it more time to develop. But there are other times where they're taking a shot and they're they're reading a safety. And that, if that safety triggers, it's all over. The question is, how many times do they get called for offensive linemen downfield on that? Shouldn't They shouldn't when they're doing slow mesh because those guys are in double teams. So that's that's one of the things that makes it so hard for for them to defend them is what they do is they double team both of the oftentimes they'll duo you basically they'll double team both of your offensive tackles or your defensive tackles that is or at least double the most threatening one but as often as not you watch them and they've got two double teams on the on the front and then they're driving those guys back and that's what gives Hartman the ability to ride forward as far as he does because that that double team forces you to 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 uh or establishes that pocket in front. And then the problem is you can't just tell your end to take off upfield and get to the quarterback there, because if he does, then he just hands it off. And now you got nine yards. So they're keeping your ends. Your ends have to play the run. And then your tackles are getting double teamed. So it's hard to get pressure there. You have to have really two guys break through the line of scrimmage to be able to do it. And that, that gets tricky. Yeah, let me throw it up, Chad Maupin, to the point. And I'm trusting these are accurate stats, Chad. Three turnovers versus Louisville and State when the defense only rushed three. Two of those when rushing five, six when rushing only four. So they turned it over when teams were not blitzing or were not blitzing a bunch. And that's an interesting thing to watch. And to your point, Jason, um, you had more guys in coverage that were able to get some deflections and make some plays and not having those wide receivers just running free and taking advantage of whatever corners. Storm Duck and Tony Grimes are going to have to be fantastic against those guys on the outside. Those are some dudes at wide receiver. Man, it's crazy, and it's Wake Forest. And uh, the, I mean, the, the weird thing about the last two games for, for Wake is they had a disastrous third quarter against Louisville. I think what six turnovers led to 35 Cardinal points Unreal. in that quarter. And Louisville is, did nothing different. That's the right. thing. They just, uh, they just threw it to them. And that gets to my next point. If you look at the NC state game, there were two atrocious throws by Hartman. I mean, one of the ones that you're talking about, Tommy, he threw it into triple coverage and he had no, it wasn't like pressured or anything. He just made a really bad read. Um, so just a couple games here where, where Hartman has not been his best. And, of course, Carolina would like that to continue. Let me ask the question before we get out of here. And I'll Slagle, I'm going to have to start charging you for all the questions, man. Love you. You're awesome. Why does Carolina struggle so much defending the pass when they drop eight? Jason, I'm going to let you go here because this is the one thing I did tweet during one of the games is if you're not going to get pressure and they're still going to be wide open, do something different. <laughs> And so Carolina has struggled covering on the back end. Um, just sort of explain the issues you've seen there. And I think that is a big frustration is for Carolina fans. You're seeing them you know, rush three or have three defensive linemen, three or four, no pressure, and they're still wide open. Help us here. Part of it is the, is the no pressure. Rushing three doesn't mean you get no pressure. Right. If you, I mean, had, if you had Lawrence Taylor, you could rush one and get pressure. Right. Yeah. So rushing three should not mean that there's zero pressure on the quarterback. It means that maybe you get a little less. But, you know, part of the problem has been that they've not pressured the quarterback as much when they've rushed three as they've wanted. 
part of it though has to do with there there have been some in each of these games teams have been able to determine that they like a matchup or two and they've they've targeted some guys uh and there's also been some communication issues you've got you know some young guys playing with some older guys, some older guys that aren't always reliable. It's a, it's a mixture of things, but I mean, they've, they're not, they're, uh, they're not pattern matching. And what, for one thing, as well as I'd like to see, which pattern matching involves the matchup part of the matchup zone thing. And, you know, they're, they're allowing too much space and there've been a lot of, a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of success on any sort of rub route or any sort of switch concept matching up to bunch, you know, teams have thrown that sort of thing at them that force them to have to adjust or to pass guys off and guys just get open in, you know, in seams that if you're playing really good zone defense shouldn't be there. So I think it's a mixture of things, but you put those, those two things together and you're going to wind up with frustration. Yeah. And duck's been a lot better um, in the last couple of weeks, healthy and all that. Let's get to the predictions. And Slagle, you come find us in Lawrence Joel uh, parking lot or in the Bowls lot next couple of weeks, and we'll settle up, my friend. We'll take care of it. Um, I will pay you in ways that um, are much better than money for all the questions, on-point questions you ask. Greg, predictions. Let's go. So I want to throw this stat out uh, since this could be our, our stat of the day. Um, North Carolina – one of the one of the issues they've had, of course, is generating pressure. Is also kind of getting into the backfield. Carolina ranks 126 nationally in oh. tackles for loss with four a game. Wake Forest is 25th nationally with right at seven a game. Uh, we've we've talked about this before, uh, but Jay Bateman was was really a fan of the idea that if you're able to generate pressure, you're doing all right, and um, if you get a tackle for loss. Uh, on, a, on a possession, then that there's a 25% chance of that possession leading to points. So that, that's a pretty a pretty stark difference. I, I'm not exactly sure what the normal one is, but I think, yeah, 52% of the time without a negative play, uh, the average offense scores half of that with a tackle for loss. So that's one to watch. Uh, but I also think that the bigger issue we've already talked about it for Wake is they've really struggled to run the ball. And Carolina has shown life in recent weeks of being able to limit the damage uh, in run defense. And so it really is a matter of which team is more effective in forcing some, some punts. And that's what it comes down to. Uh, the way Drake May has been playing compared with how Sam Hartman has been the last two weeks uh, I've got Carolina in an upset on this one. I've got North Carolina winning this one. And you know what? For good measure, let's make it three years in a row. I've got North Carolina winning 52-51. Oh, my gosh. Greg Barnes. It's funny. Greg gets off the beat and starts predicting Carolina wins. I mean, that's unbelievable. Yeah, well, it just happens to coincide when with when Carolina's winning. Imagine that. Oh, yeah. Wait, <laughs> wait a minute. When did you start? No, you were there for 15. That makes sense. <laughs> Jason, what you got? Yeah, I – so the thing that I, that I keep coming back to is the running game uh, for Wake and the fact that they've really struggled to run it the last three weeks against teams that, you know, NC State's run defense is legit. That's the best run defense in the, in the conference. Louisville's run defense is okay, but what they did against Louisville was just an anomaly – and then BC's pretty good in run defense. So, you know, you look at that and you're like, okay, well, you know, they they don't have any explosive plays in the running game. They're not, they, they don't, they don't hit for explosive plays. And that kind of fits into, into the wheelhouse for what Carolina wants to do defensively. So in some ways that matches up well. The, the one thing that keeps bothering me is I did watch that Florida State Wake Forest game and they ran the ball 51 times against FSU. And they averaged 3.35 yards per play, but it was enough to beat FSU. So that's the concern that I have is, you know, I think that's the right approach. You have to, you know, if, 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 if they, if they run the ball 45 times in this game, I think you win the game. But the concern is what happens if they do run the ball 45 times and they have a couple of those big plays that are able to neutralize that and then they win. 
So I think this is going to be a close game. This is going to be a tough game. I am going to pick Carolina to win it. I think for a lot of the same reasons you said, Drake May has been the more consistent quarterback. And I think if there's a team in the conference that has equal or better wide receivers, it's North Carolina. And I think Carolina can cause them offensively the same kinds of problems that they can cause Carolina. And I don't think Wake Forest defense is a whole lot better than Carolina's. So all told, I think, I think uh, and the other thing is that, that Wake has shown in recent weeks a propensity to turn the ball over. And, and Carolina hasn't turned it over a bunch. So playing those numbers, I think this is going to be, this is, I wouldn't call it an upset. It would have been an upset a couple weeks ago. And I'm not sure that they would have beaten the Wake Forest team, this Wake Forest team, if they'd played five weeks ago. I think that in, at that time frame where the teams were at that point, Carolina's gotten better. And I think Wake, this is a Wake team you wanted to play a little bit later in the year once they got a little more banged up. Uh, so I'm going to go with a little bit lower scoring game in this one, though, because I think Carolina is going to re- going to force them to run the football more. So it's going to run a little bit more clock. Uh, but I think this one's going to be uh, and I say lower scoring game, but it's still ridiculously high. I'm going to go with Carolina winning this one. Forty five to thirty eight. Take the over, Tommy. Oh, I'm taking the over without question. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm, uh, this is I'm ridiculous. So when I was picking this season, we got to the Miami game, and all of y'all told me not to do it, and I did it. I took Carolina to beat Miami. And now I'm reading Mark Williams. Shout out to Mark Williams. Since y'all give me a hard time hollering Slagle's name, I'll say Mark Williams. Do you see his quote in the chat? Bowman said it the other day. Drake May turns 50-50 games into 80-20 games. And so I'm going. It's a good quote. I'm going to change my pick. Even though I don't like Carolina playing in Winston. It's been a weird place to play. It's a weird over, place to play for everybody. Over the last few years. Uh, I'm going to say Carolina. I think I said 52-51 earlier, Greg, just joking, but you stole that. I'm going to say 49-46. And I would wager Hartman's got the ball in his hands at the end. Uh, this is Drake May's day, Drake May's season. And if the dude keeps doing it like he's keep do- as he's done it, he's going to be in New York. That's all I got. I've changed my prediction. I don't feel good about it. I, I like the 10 and two prediction on the season, but I'll ride with the, with the hot hand and Drake is the hot hand. Greg Barnes, Jason Staples, anything else, fellas? I will tell you this, Jason. Eight o'clock Sunday morning, I'm gonna need you to carry the load because I'm going to Winston and I'm driving home after that game. So, <laughs> or I'm gonna carry my book bag with my computer and my headset. So I might be doing it on a park bench somewhere in Winston or in Chapel Hill, but we'll get it done. Eight o'clock the day after podcast uh, with Buck Sanders, Jason Staples, and myself, Greg Barnes, and I'll be back next week for this show and the next level Inside Carolina Johnny T-shirt, JohnnyT-shirt.com. Listen to Inside Carolina live before Carolina and Wake on Saturday. Thanks, fellas. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.